Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have A.J. Osborne. AJ has a very remarkable story. He built a $100 million real estate portfolio. He then became paralyzed from head to toe, and his family lived off his cash-flowing assets as he recovered. So thank you so much for being on the show, AJ. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So can you tell us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, before you started investing in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was in the insurance game, so I was kind of brought up in it. My father... Um, was in insurance. He, I grew up, he worked for an insurance company and then he started out as a broker and then he um, taught me the ways. And so I became a broker and started selling insurance. And um, there was a lot of things that I actually loved about that. I loved the fact that I was in charge of my own financial future as I saw it, right? If I wanted to make money, I'd sell. Um, the downside is I if you don't sell, you don't make any money. It's, it was a commission game, right? So um, it was all based upon my work. Now, getting started, that's amazing um, because I had no problem working my brains out and uh, I had no problem failing and looking stupid in front of clients, which I uh, became very proficient <laughs> at. And um, so, you know, it was, it's, a, it's a hard road. Uh, a lot of times for people, the sales game, but I thoroughly enjoyed it because the learning process was unlike any other. I, I mean, I was getting put in the position where I had to learn how to be prepared. I had to learn how to put myself out there as well as I had to learn to take the consequences for my actions, right? So if I didn't make a sell, it was, and I just couldn't go, I ah, blame the whole world and you know, that kind of stuff. I said, no, listen, you, you screwed something up. You either didn't do your homework, you either didn't understand, you weren't prepared, you were smarter, whatever it was. And so then I had to you know, do some introspection. I had to figure out what the crap am I doing wrong? And then I had to change. So a lot of my, I think, I, 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 you know, I believe my personal um, work experience before set me up for a lot of success in the future. Um, uh, just because of that introspection process. I didn't have a simple W-2, right? That's not how it worked. Um, I didn't work the nine to five and then go home. Um, and so for me, it created an inside look at how money is made and how it's gathered. And um, that really helped out. But there, but there was a lot of fundamental flaws with it, obviously. Um, one of the biggest was that can't go on forever right there, you know, sales has a life cycle. And uh, for most people, you know, in your 30s and 40s, you're kind of at the peak. And then after that, it's either downhill. And then before that, it's a struggle to get up. So you have like 20 years in for most people um, in that, that is really good. But afterwards, you don't have anything. So I, I, I look at it a lot like a lawyer, right? Or a doctor or somebody like that, where you're making a lot of money, but it's only as good as you doing the action. Mm -hmm. 
And so I did, I, I got to build up a book and I got to make some good money. And I felt that I was in charge of my financial life. And I felt like I was my own boss because I choose my own hours. But what I really learned is that I just had a lot of bosses. So I didn't control that revenue source. I didn't own it. And every time that it left, I had to go back and replace it or we just lost income. We had to low, very, uh, live very low below our means because all it took was one big client to leave and you know my income got cut by 30%. So for me, um, it created some good habits, but it also, it, it showed me some flaws in how the business model was ran, principally the ownership of the revenue source. And even business at all, that control of whether it's intellectual property, whether it's the systems or patents on products, um, different things like that, that's very vital. And real estate, you know, it, it acts almost as a monopoly it really does it, you know it's like you own that source and if it's utilized it has to be you have to get paid to have it be utilized and nobody can take that away from you and so if you know real estate at its safest you know you have no debt even on the property and you make it now uh that's not something i do but um that's you know that's as safe as it gets and so i needed to find a way to start compounding my wealth i wanted to do this upfront work like i had in sales to get my sales income, right? So I do the upfront work, but then I need to be paid over time, but I didn't want the source of it to leave. And so when I started looking at how to, to really diversify and what we were gonna do, um, real estate was kind of a no brainer for us. Although there were some aspects about real estate that I didn't like at all. Um, and I didn't like the ability, I was so used to being able to change my income that I wanted something that I felt I could really adjust the revenue and play with the levers um, that allowed me to control that revenue, i.e. increase it, right? Um, and that's why I got into self-storage because I viewed self-storage. There was, uh, we came out and I had kind of a theory and fundamental principles that most people own self-storage as a real estate asset and it's not, it's a business. Mm -hmm. And so I could walk into that business and I could change the levers and that would increase the income and the value would also rise with that and focus on operations and revenue management. And we could turn a real estate asset into a thriving business. And so that was kind of where we went. And I was like, it was to me, it was like I could have my cake and eat it too. Right. right. Um, and so we went down that road. Um, and thank goodness we did because um, about three, we'd been in it for a while, but we went big into it about four or excuse five years. And then out of the blue, I became paralyzed and it was completely out of the blue. I mean, it was, and it wasn't an accident. It wasn't, I didn't fall. I didn't get hurt. Nothing like that. I, I one day I was walking. Um, and then by night I'd had pain, pain, uh, pain in my legs. And then by night, my wife was dragging me out to the car, putting me in the car to go to the hospital because my legs didn't work. And then within two days from there, I was on life support and paralyzed from head to toe. And so it was not even, I mean, it was, I didn't even say goodbye to my children. I mean, that's how fast it happened. I never even got to say goodbye to my kids. And so I was in a coma. Then when I came out of the coma, you know, paralyzed and sitting here going, you know, I die and never even say goodbye to my kids. Um, it just happened like that. And uh, um, two, then I was stuck paralyzed from head to toe looking at a wall, kind of like, how did I get here? And um, it, you know, it was one of those things that obviously I lost my ability to work. In fact, my boss came to the hospital months later 
when I could uh, speak and move my arms. And um, they obviously informed me like it wasn't gonna be working, which was obvious. I didn't even know if I was gonna leave the hospital anytime soon. And it had already been months. Um, my employer was um, extremely um, nice and very, very grateful. They kept me employed um, for months while I was um, hooked to tubes, which obviously they didn't need to do. Um, and I wasn't working and it, they, it was already apparent that I wasn't. So I'm not bagging at all on my employer by saying that. In fact, I'm very grateful for them, but um, it is what it is. And I knew it was coming. And so we lost that source of income, which that was also my sales job. And so we lost, when you have a sales job and you know, I'd spent years of my life to build up those sales. And it's not like skill set that you learn and somebody will just hire you at a certain wage and you can come back in, right? Like, no, I, that's knowing that, knowing that I'd lost my job there meant I was starting from scratch again. And I didn't even know how that would look or anything else like that. Obviously at the time I didn't really care because I didn't even know if I was ever going to walk, but um, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it wasn't like I lost my job. And when I got, when I could get better again, I'd simply go out and get a new one and make the same pay that didn't exist for me. Um, so self storage for me saved my financial life and my, my wife, she didn't have to worry. She didn't have to leave the kids, go get a job. We didn't have to lose the house. We didn't have to, you know, and, and when I got released out of the rehab, uh, facility, um, I was taken home and put into a bed and I just, you know, my wife had to take care of me. And I was still paralyzed. And so it, you know, it gave us a freedom and an ability to not just live our lives, but have a future. And that is, you know, that is a gift that is uh, obviously extremely, I'm extremely grateful for. And hence the reason why I'm talking about it. <laughs> the, um, so how was your business looking prior to your life-changing event, your emergency that you had? Well, how did it, how was it structured? How was, how did you have it set up? Cause obviously, I mean, very few people, even in real estate have their business set up like as a straight system where everything runs flawlessly without them. Obviously you weren't planning on this happening. So you, you didn't have that. You weren't working toward that at that point. So how was it set up prior to what happened and, um, and how did it run while you were in this state? Great question. So one of the things that we did when we started out is I'm a ginormous believer um, in um, on on systematizing everything. We need processes, we need procedures. Um, and one of the major reasons is if you don't have a setup that can be transferred, you can't get out of your business. And that's like a death knell. And so I knew I needed, in order for my business need to grow, I needed to get out of its way. And I needed to be able to work on the business, not in the business. So I had um, two partners. Um, and when we were starting, um, unfortunately, my partners were also family. So my father um, is also my partner. Um, we started we started the company together. Then my brother-in-law is a partner and he's CFO. But so when this happened, it was, we were MIA. Like my employees, one day me and my dad didn't show up and neither did my brother-in-law for whatever it was, like a week. Then my brother-in-law started showing up and nobody was talking. Nobody would even tell them what was going on because we didn't know if I was going to die at that point or not. So we didn't know if they were going to pull the plug. So they really, it was one of those things where it was like nobody was talking. And so me and my dad just vanished. We disappeared. And they're like, what's going on? But what we did is we set up the company. So 
um, as we went through, it was kind of funny. When we first set it up, I went and hired uh, a friend of mine. So I had a friend that um, lived next to me and he worked and ran franchises. So he ran like, it was like 15 franchises across our state. Um, and so I hired him right when we were starting and buying up facilities and everything. And I said, hey, I want you to come in and we want a franchise system. And so I go, we want the same look, the same feel. There needs to be reasons for the for why we're doing everything. There needs to be uh, procedures, how they execute. And we need to have a full-fledged man. So we literally went in and for like a week, we went took, you know, those sticky notes, you have the little ones and they have the ginormous sticky notes. Um, over a weekend, me and him took all our knowledge and everything we were doing and we plastered the entire office in these ginormous sticky notes where we'd say, okay, so for rate increases X, and we had all these reasons to do all these things. So the op uh, so a few of our employees came in and they're like, what the heck? And then we hired someone who was extremely um, attention to detail. And what we did is we took all of this and we started breaking it down. And we broke it down to everything from, we, we had our customer's experience. We call it the Rogers experience. I think I read that somewhere, but that was, we had the policies and procedures down to the point of how the customer views it. So we said, okay, we're going to reverse this. How's the customer interact with us? And how does our policies and procedures affect that? So that changed the way our, um, our managers looked. That changed the way they interacted with people, our communication to them. We took it from the perspective of a customer, not us. And so we outlined all of this and we made this huge policy and procedure manual and then we digitized it. So we created training manuals for people to come in, said, when a customer comes in, here's how we do, here's how you do lock covers, here's how you do everything. So, and then from there, we set in three positions in our organization as we were growing to analyze it. Now, this was taking the entire profit of the company. Let me make this very clear. We, were, we weren't making anything. I was still working a full-time job as we were buying because what we set up is we set up someone that focused on, let's call it our managers. Then we had uh, someone that focused purely on policy procedures and training. So quality assurance, efficiency, mm -hmm. right? They were making sure everything was done correctly. And then we had someone that focused on the hard assets and maintenance and all our people. There's these three pillars that they would all go up to right? And then it would filter up through them and any emergencies and things like that would then come to us at the top. And then we would make those decisions. We had this all set up and everything. I'm, I kid you not, like seven months before I went into the hospital. Wow. And so when I went in the hospital, they all knew what they were supposed to do and they knew how to execute. Now, the one thing that stopped is we stopped obviously growing. I don't think we didn't, we weren't purchasing a lot during that time, Yeah, but um, it was our business ran efficiently and everyone knew their job. They knew the role role. They, if there was any questions, they went back to everything that we had taught and told and put down in writing. And then too, we had a communication strategy that was an online communication strategy. So it would document all their communications and we had a filter up process to solve them. So when we disappeared, problems were still being solved. Decisions were still being made. And we had a trusted partner who was my brother-in-law who would step in if any major things needed decisions uh, made. And I've done this with um, other partners and friends um, in their businesses where they didn't have someone to step in and make major decisions. And they actually coordinated with me that I would understand their business model and how everything was running. And then if something happened to them, I would step in. And so it's really important to look at your business as a, its own entity, right? Mm -hmm. 
without you. And if it can't work without you, it's hard to even call it a business, right? It's like, well, right. no, then this is just you and you're making the money. Yeah. It's, it's really important to document everything in that system, document the operating procedures, document what happens when you're going through that flow chart. And if this happens, it goes here, if this goes here, and then at the end, like you were saying, goes to the top, the issues, right? Something that needs to, so you can set up with your property manager, even if you own some multifamily or smaller properties and you say, Hey, everything under a thousand dollars, you take care of your best decision, right? Everything over a thousand dollars, give me a call, whatever it is that you set up in place, but you have some sort of procedure and you can document it. So at some point with the goals of just handing that off to someone, you guys set that all up beforehand, which is great because most people wait down the road and then they're super busy and then they're trying to die. Well, what do I do? I don't even know what I do when I do this. And then yeah, and, and we forget yeah. what I did at the first. I don't even remember now, but those smaller things that were so important at the first, I have nothing to do with those things in my business anymore. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And I don't want to, if I had to do those and people are like, I don't want to get my hands you know, off my business. I don't want to lose control. And I'm like, it's not about losing control. It's not about getting your hands on off your business. It's about you focusing on what needs to be focused on. And I focus this is on high impact decisions. And so for me, I needed to make high impact decisions on my company to protect my employees, my revenue. And I don't care if you're doing the property management, if you're not, if you're investing in duplexes, this doesn't matter. This is, and a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not big like that, so it doesn't matter. Okay, well, when you're big, when you get big, if you didn't focus on it when you were small, now it's too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. But what I mean is now you've got this huge mess on your hand. You are probably missing so much. You're making problems, mistakes. You're missing money. You're leaving money on the table and you don't know how to get out of it. At that point, you're just like, I don't even know what to do because I don't have time. I can't focus on everything. And two, everybody gets in this, this point where they're like, I don't even have time to train somebody. And I'm like, you shouldn't be. You should have all had that documented. This should be done. Our training process is online with tests. So they go online and they have to take courses before they can get, and then we have an onsite trainer that goes down from there. So documenting everything, I just cannot stress. When you're starting out, okay, let me use an example here. If you're starting out and you're saying, I'm going to get into real estate investing and you say, I'm going to go and I'm going to house hack. Awesome. When you house hack, you need to look at, first of all, you need to be documenting, how did you find the deal? So when you get the deal and everything, how did you find it? Who did you work with? What was needed? What did the bank need from you? What did you need? How did you underwrite that deal? What made that deal a good deal? What made that deal a bad deal? And this should all be written down. Because after that, then the next time you go to do it, you now have a, a playbook, how to repeat that simple thing, right? But mm -hmm. you can adjust it. So then you can look for other deals. You can line it up with what you did last time, which I don't care who you are. You're going to forget this stuff, right? And, to, and, and when it's small, it's really important because we don't think it's important, right? You don't think that stuff's important. But if you're going to repeat an action, you have to not only document it, but you have to understand what's working and what's not and be able to adjust it. And so you do that, then you know how to get another one. Then you know how to get another one. Then when you need to hire somebody, because now you have five duplexes and you're going to buy an apartment building, you don't want to run those. Somebody comes in to just manage your duplexes. You say, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it, right? Here's the contracts. Here's what we do. So if you get another tenant in, here's the contract that I want them under. 
here's how it needs to work. Here's who's handling landscaping, who's handling painting. Here's our contractors, which you have, you know, you have their names, their dates, everything that's all set up. And so it, it allows you to grow. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's, it's perfect. That's something that you can actually duplicate and you can repeat and you can scale when you have that. It's also something where even if you're smaller, document everything. If you ever bring in someone that's an executive assistant to help you with any part of your business, what are they doing? You know what I mean? Well, a lot of people say, yes. oh, I don't, have enough, I don't have enough room or enough time to do anything or I don't have enough uh, business for them to take care of. Well, if you document everything from what you're doing every day and you can hand it off to them. And obviously, that was the first thing when I brought in third-party management years and years ago. It was, oh, I could do everything myself. And I spent so much time collecting rent. And I was like, one day I was like, this is like, I spent like a day a month collecting rent, right? For these properties. Yeah. It's like, it's a complete waste of time where it could be. And I outsourced it all, get it all set up. But it was like, you, you, you know, small stuff like that. You don't realize that you're like, you're spending so much time on these things that aren't high level. Like you were saying, high level decisions, high level actions that are going to be actually for the lifetime, you know what I mean? Lifetime value for what you're trying to do. Well, and this is, this point is just awesome because you know, I, I need to make this very clear. First of all, I am the most unorganized person, not attention to details. Okay. So anyone that knows me knows that, um, I, the, the small things get by me and that's dangerous, right? So for me, I've had to put things in place to make sure that I do things right. I hate doing that stuff. I hate it. It's, it's annoying to me. It takes time everything else. So what I, what I had to do is I had to audit my day. So when I go through, I needed to seriously break down and introspect and say, what am I spending time on? And then what are the high impact things during my day and what are not? And then for me, I was spending a lot of time doing things that I, not only I wasn't good at, I shouldn't have been doing. And those things were starting to show weakness. And so for me, then I said, okay, we need to replace this or we need to do and get somebody in to do it, or we need to automate this. One of those three, right? I need to replace, I need to find somebody else, or I need to automate. So which one of these three are the best way to do it? And then um, what's the cost to reward for that? And then when we looked at it, it allowed, because we were documenting things, it allowed us to do that. These can be very small things. But what happens is all these small things during your day, like you talk about collecting rent, different things like that, they add up. Then all of a sudden, you're doing non-essential things for half your time. And you're going, if I could double your time to make better high-impact decisions and grow your business, what could you do with that? So auditing your day and figuring out, which is something I have to do all the time. I, I literally have to audit my day quarterly because all of our day fills up with crap. It does now, like even just speaking to this, I'm not even kidding. I'm like, I need to go back. I need to audit my day today. Um, because I know that I get buried down and I need to get that stuff off, get better people, set systems in place, automate so that I can continually continue grow. So this isn't one thing you set it up and then it's just done. We do this in our business. We restructure lots of things in our business about every two, three years because we grow and then you need to, we have other problems. We have other things that need to be taken care of. I'm now bogged down. I need to work on the business, not in it. And we have to add in people. We have to grow. So this is a continual process. So what have you changed in your business since, uh, since your emergency and uh, your, in regards to your business and your team? Have you done anything? Have you taken to another level? Have you changed? Absolutely. Else? Yeah. We, um, one of the things that I came out and I was like, all right, um, I have, you know, I got a second chance here. 
and I'm not wasting it. So this stuff that we're talking about right now became extremely important to me because money became less important. Time became very important to me. So for me to get rid of some of my income, cause I need to hire somebody that can do it better and free me up to grow my business. The opportunity cost is what I really started to focus on and care about. So when I looked at it, I said, there are things that I could be doing and it could make me more money, right? So let's say I could be doing this. And if, if I had to replace that, it'd take $30,000 out of my income, right? But if I went out and I hired somebody and did that, I could potentially get another facility that could make us a hundred thousand more dollars. So the opportunity cost is what I focus on and understanding that if I'm working, it needs to be on progress. And so I really focus on that. Where, how are we going to progress? Where are we going to do it? And then I fill in. And then two, I focus on doing things that are not only just high impact, but are things that I want to do. So I'm not, um, I'm always deal hungry because I'm a real estate investor. We're always deal hungry, but I don't do things that are even close. So I, I'm, I'm very rigid on my criteria, on the people that I work with. And quality has become extremely important to me. So quality in our projects are more important. Quality in everything's more important because I understand if it's not, it's gonna take up time and it too would slow our progress down. So it, a lot of people think that they're progressing, but they're confusing um, uh, action with progress. Those two things are not the same. And so I've really, really tried to focus on what's taking us to the next level. And that's more important than money. That's more important than anything else. And that's the best use of my time. So I, I um, got very short of patience when I came out. And I think that was due to a lot of things, including um, things like we call ICU delirium and different things like that that happens in the ICU. And it actually had helped me a lot because I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. It was like, are you kidding me? I got other things to do. It was just like, I just lost patience with things that I, I felt were non-essential and weren't good. And that, that helped everybody out because they're like, yeah, no kidding, AJ. Or you, you obviously shouldn't be doing this. Let us do this, right? And I had no problem, like, do it. So that focus and the things that we're talking about, that was the big, big change. Much more long-term focused, not short-term we buy, I buy diversify, I buy business. We understand our own weaknesses. We understand that we need to do home runs. We need to, um, it was, it was, there was a lot of clarity, which is strange, but I didn't go back and get my job. I didn't do that. I said, no, instead I'm going to control my rise of revenue. We, I started another company. I bought two more and we expanded our real estate business and have been buying more projects. We also set up a Cedar Creek um, wealth, which is a um, syndication. So we decided we're going to pair our money with other people's money, which we'd never done. We built all of this off our own. So we were just doing a value add strategy, redeploying capital and growing, which we said our capital can go farther aligning our, with, um, our aligning us with other people. So we started that. And then I wrote and launched my book two weeks ago, which is a bestseller um, as of this week. Ooh, that's um, nice. That's, I didn't know there was that many nerds that cared about self-storage. I was very surprised <laughs> about that. Uh, but, you know, and I launched that because I made a promise to myself in the hospital. Um, I was literally sitting there. So when I went into the hospital, it was sunny, right? 
I was out planting trees and everything else. When I got into the rehab facility, um, you know, I'm out looking at the windows, the snow's coming down. And I was like, you know, this is really important. And so I made decisions to focus on being very transparent, open. Mm-hmm. And I said, if I, if I get out of this and can work again or anything, I'm going to share this information and give it back. So I started up uh, my podcast, Self-Storage Income, and I focused a lot more on giving to others and doing it in a way that is not like, you know, oh, you get in and, you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar, you know, upsells. You know, it's just like, I, I literally am like, here's everything we do. And the book is literally a playbook. Like, here's everything we do. Here's how we look at it. Here's our facilities. Here's our case studies. So becoming more transparent and open and focus on giving to others. And that's benefited substantially to the way we do business. Yeah. And that's definitely something that's missing in the whole especially with so many real estate gurus or um, coaches out there. And you kind of want to learn what this person's strategy is. And it's like going down a rabbit hole where it's like, Hey, get in this email webinar upsell that you're like, I just sell me the book, sell me the course. You know what I mean? I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but it's kind of, so I think people really appreciate um, following people that are that transparent and open with what they're doing, what their goals are, and uh, if they align with that person, maybe they can work together. So, well, and that's what it is. Because for me, like people say, I'm like, I'm, I'm not a guru. I don't make money off being a guru. I don't do, you know, things like that. For me, I, um, I took sponsors on my podcast to try to help cover the cost. I was spending $4,000 a month producing mm-hmm. content. And so my wife was a little frustrated with that. But for me, I'm like, I make money off of buying storage facilities. That's mm-hmm. where I make money. And when I came out of the hospital, I didn't want to lose focus, right? I wanted to keep very focused. So when I started this up, I even started an inner circle, which we had people part of. In the inner circle, we already got a $6 million deal that me and the other person are closing together. And that was in the first two months of starting my inner circle. And so for me, that's the payoff. It's he gets to be a part of this deal now. He gets to learn from us and we get a deal. And so that's really the focus, right? The focus is on acquiring assets and building more. And people see that, they understand that. And that, and it comes back to me. So the more open I can be on the strategy is the, it's literally like telling people, this is what I like. This is what I do. Hey, if you find something, you know, let me know. I'm happy to team up. I'm happy to do deals, everything like that. And so it's funny how a lot of those things change and how my view changed when you get out of the hospital from where it was more like, no, we don't want other people to know about this. We got this great strategy. And for some reason, feeling like other people may know that may hurt us or something like that. And that all went away. It was like, I don't even care about that stuff anymore. I don't got time to, I don't, you know, it was like, here's what we do. Let's do more deals and um, let's progress. Yeah, I love uh, you think out of the norm and I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit on something that uh, we spoke about previously was uh, on your thoughts on being wealthy versus rich. And I mean, one thing I want to bring back with your senior time and money and like this, there was a book called 8020 marketing and he has a graph in there and it says $10 an hour, $100 an hour and $1,000 an hour activities. And it's a great thing for anybody that's listening that wants to pick that up because you can make the same thing for yourself and you can figure out where you can, what you can offload that off your plate that is just can be done better and and less expensive by someone else and free you up for those thousand dollar plus an hour activities. But um, so wealthy being uh, versus being rich, how do you, how do you explain that? 
this this is a concept that I really um, gained a few years back, where I I was I was rich because I made a lot of money for my sales job, right? Um, I could only live on a fraction of it because we were always worried that maybe you know we wouldn't keep making, but um, but I was, and um, I paid a lot of taxes and I worked my freaking brains out. And when I started looking at the system and I went and started um, focusing a lot on like macroeconomics and how um, the tax system works and um, understanding a lot more about the machine and the game that we're all playing. And what I found was that although I was rich, I was not wealthy. And the differentiator between the two is um, control and time. So I didn't have control of my revenue and I didn't have the freedom. If I wanted to go take two months off or five, six months, I couldn't do that. That didn't exist. Um, my business would go away and I would go from rich to broke in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, um, even like I mentioned, mentioned before, you know, when I came out of the hospital, um, effectively my career was over, done. Um, I, uh, I could do it again, but I'd start from scratch. It, there was no going back to my income. And so I, you know, you're talking about me at a point making very good money to all of a sudden, I don't even know what job I'm going to do. That's rich. Wealthy is that I have cash flowing assets that when I'm in the hospital and I come out, they're worth more, making more money, and I didn't even do anything. So it's the, the, the principal concept between uh, with wealth is that there's a complete separation from your time and money. And when you get there, now it's a lot easier to audit and say, because if you look at, so for example, I spend time help, uh, trying to teach others and help others uh, through the inner circle of podcasts and books, everything else like that. That time spent has us attached to three deals under contract that total right around 20 million. And so those three deals at 20 million compared to me doing activities that are um, very low impact, right? And making, you know, whatever it is, you talked about the money, you know, per time, like that's crazy because when you take those, you know, three, four deals and take it over 50 years, let me give you an example on my Kansas City deal. The Kansas City deal that I'm doing right now, we're closing in the next month. Um, and this deal is a $6 million deal. It has massive upside potential. So we're going to buy it. We're going to turn it around and we're going to refinance in three years. And we have something called money on the table. So I look for the spread of what it's doing today and what the marketplace is doing. And that gives me the money on the table that can be taken off. That is around 30% increase in income. We can refinance non-recourse in year three, take all our money out, still be making cash flow. So that um, we would take out right around $2 million. So for me, that one deal equals 2 million plus cash flow. And if I'm not able to do those deals, that's an opportunity cost. And that deal will pay me forever, right? That's wealth. So my time is not connected to that at all, right? Um, I will go, we'll do it. And yes, work needs to be done and I will spend time on it. But after it's completed and after it's purchased, we have the systems in place, everything to run it, everything to turn it around. And I'm off just finding other deals. If I don't want to grow though, I don't have to. That's up to me, mm -hmm. right? That's wealth. Being rich is I have to run. And if I don't, I die. Yeah. You no, know, it's years back. I was talking to a real estate investor and I was going to meet him. Uh, we were going to talk about some different properties he wanted to sell. And he goes, Oh, and it was like June or something. He's like, Oh, you know, I'm taking off the rest of summer. Let's like meet up in like September. 
And I've never had anybody really say that to me. So it was something where you're like, wow, this is exactly what I want to be doing. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but whatever this guy's got going on with the system in place where this guy can take off a whole summer and then come back and um, doesn't have to worry about anything. I mean, what a great, what a great strategy to, you know, building real true wealth that you can actually pass on being rich. You can't really pass on no. to your heirs and stuff like that. It's just not going to be, there's, there's nothing. Yeah. There's no wealth is multi-generational and hey, it's, it's affected by um, really wealth is you're betting on the economy. You're betting on the United States. As long as that keeps going, you're good, right? Rich is you're betting on yourself. And that is um, a horrible bet. Now, let me explain what I mean by horrible <laughs> bet. It's obviously the best bet at the first, but it's a horrible bet in the fact that you are going to die 100%. There is no more sure bet than that. At one point, your bet goes to zero. And I don't know when that, when that is. For me, it was a few years back. I stopped being able to work. My bet went to zero. So if you're betting on yourself, you are betting on 100% guaranteed zero. Now, you're trying to get whatever you can in the short term. Wealth is not like that. Wealth, I'm betting on generations. I don't know, maybe my grandkids will be in this business and they'll own the assets. I, I don't know, they could be, right? We can transfer it. In fact, we can transfer it tax-free. Mm -hmm. Like once, once you transfer it over, right? the um, depreciation gets wiped to zero yeah. and they start all over again. So this is, this is owning and part, uh, this is not participating in the economy. It's owning the economy. Yeah. And that is very different. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. If, if you focus on any uh, reviewed, any like uh, old money, wealthy families, and you can just see that they've had it for hundreds of years, hundreds of years and how they've made money, how they transfer it. And, um, in the assets they're investing in. And it's always commercial real estate as part of that investment scheme at some point. Um, of course, with other ways of probably how they made it that they're focusing on. But the main thing, there's always commercial real estate involved in that. And uh, it's always, it's always going to be something that's, it's not going to be going away. So um, yeah, the richest people in the world made the vast majority of their money off, um, uh, off investments. So Bill mm -hmm. Gates, it's something like 23% of his entire wealth came from Microsoft. Everything else came from his investments. That kind of blows your mind when you think, yeah, because yes. Microsoft is so big and so much has happened. But the vast majority of Bill Gates' wealth came from investments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it shows how powerful it is. But um, so you're obviously a seasoned real estate investor. What mistakes do you normally see real estate investors make? New ones, um, ones that have done a couple deals. What do you normally find? Um. There's two things. First of all, thinking way too small. Um, it, it just, honestly, it's like, you need to double whatever you're thinking um, because you, we always underestimate the amount of effort and time that it takes in. So we think that lots of people think that investing means, oh, you just buy something and then you're rich. That's not how it works. Investing doesn't mean you just buy an asset and you become rich. That's not how it works at all. Investing means you build a process that can be repeated. Keep it simple, but you need to be able to repeat the process. So first thing, think bigger. And second, focus on a repeatable process. So this is how compounding works. I know that I can invest in something, it'll produce a certain return. I can take that return and I can reinvest it. Now that we know that, now you can focus on how to increase return 
and increase the speed in which you buy more. Then you can focus on how long it'll take you to your goal and you can keep changing at the uh, changing on how you get the return and how fast you can reinvest it so you can compound that out quicker. But most people think that it's buying and you're done. Like, oh, if I buy, you know, and that's why you hear people say things like, well, if I had a billion dollars, I could buy a skyscraper too. And you're like, well, that's, they didn't just get a billion dollars. That's not how it works, right? It's like, it, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, you know, they have a process that they could repeat and scale mm -hmm. to get to that point. That's where the value is. The value is in the process. And so you need to think a lot bigger. You need to focus on processes, procedures, and how you can repeat an action. If you are super good at buying, renovating single family homes, and then renting them out and getting a 20 plus percent return, and then you can systematize that and start doing deals and focus on how can I do five deals a month, right? Or if you're really good at finding people to invest with, and you can say, I know how to look at operators. I can see what they do. I know how to vet them. I know how to do that so I can place capital with them. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you need to be able to, once again, you need to be able to repeat it. That is so fundamental and important. And I think lots of investors, they think short-term, they're thinking small things. They're like, they're way more worried about how they, uh, the money that they save on an installation of a HVAC on a home than they are at all about creating deal flow, mm -hmm. making the right connections and repeating the process. And they're so focused on not uh, on low impact decisions. They're never making or looking at high impact decisions and they, they stall out. They don't grow and they don't understand why, although they're doing great things and they're investing, why they're never at a point where they wanted to be. And they said, this took a ton of money and a ton of time and I'm 10 years down the road and I'm still not where I wanted to be. And that's because you focused in the process, you focused on the wrong things. Yeah. yeah it's also another thing too, is if, you spend time with wealthy people before see a wealthy people spend a lot of time and will pay for it generously uh, on convenience. So whatever makes oh, yes. their life easier, they'll pay for, they'll make it so that the process, like you said, worrying about the system, the network, the process, everything has to run. And once it runs, then now you have something and now you can duplicate it to unlimited number of times if it's and that's what other people don't have so yeah. us setting up our process was a it, not that it was a nightmare but it was hard yeah. i had to learn all this stuff i had to set it up and it cost money that took away money from me but once we have it now you have what people and rich people don't have mm -hmm. they have no mm -hmm. process to repeat they have no process to underwrite they have no process to value they have no process to manage if you can solve that problem for people um, you now have a machine that can yeah. just skyrocket. And this is a big thing that I, I think that new investors forget. Like you, they focus so much on um, image. They focus so much on things that are non-essential and they are not putting in the work to make themselves valuable. And they're surprised when other people don't see value in them. And that is something, you know, I can't stress enough. I didn't, I wasn't talking about self-storage until after we'd accumulated a hundred million in assets. So I wasn't on podcasts. I wasn't mm -hmm. doing that kind of stuff because I didn't even felt that I could. I didn't feel that I had enough value and everything to talk about it. So you need to be so obsessed with being the best 
so that other people see you as the best, that they it naturally comes to you. And I I I I, I love this analogy. I get it real quick. Do you mind if I give a quick yeah, analogy? Yeah, sure, sure. All right. So um, there's an analogy that I love, and it's probably because I'm from Idaho, but it's about the bear and the fisherman. So all right. So you, you like I'm a fly fisherman, right? And it, you got the fisherman who's standing on the side of the bank, who's waiting for fish to come by, and he's hoping that they're gonna bite his fly. They're hoping that they're gonna catch it, right? But then you have a grizzly bear that just walks into the middle of the river, plops down, and the fish jump into his freaking mouth. And so that's why a grizzly bear's a thousand pounds, right? And uh, so when you look at this, my analogy with it is, is be the grizzly bear. Go out, so you need to get in front of opportunity. You need to get in front of people. You need to get in front of the pathway. Don't be sitting there spending all your time trying to catch an opportunity. Create it and get mm -hmm. yourself in the middle of it. And we do that through creating value. So the more value you bring to others and the more you're an expert, the more you're getting in the middle of the river and people just start coming to you and opportunities start coming to you. And then you hear people say, well, some people get all the breaks and well, geez, this guy's got unlimited opportunity. I don't have any. Well, that's because they position themselves in a place to do it. And so yeah. that needs to be your focus, improving yourself so the fish come to you. Yeah. It's also that um, the value that you create, that's what you're compensated for. So the 100%. more value that you can provide, whether it's to people, to the deal, to your partners, that's what you're going to be compensated for. So you have to go in with that mindset. How much value can I add to these people I'm working with? And the more I add there, the more I'm going to be compensated, whether on this deal, future deals, whatever it might be. So, and that's the hard part. Yeah. People don't like to hear that. People don't like to hear change yourself, <laughs> work on yourself, make yourself better. Um, because they expect that they should just know the right person or they should, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's not how it works. You need to make sure, like I said, try to be the best focus on it. Wake up in the morning and say, what do I need to do to be the best multifamily investor? What do I need to do to be the best flipper? What do I need to do to be the best single home investor? And when, by doing action, other people will take notice and opportunities will arise as your skill set rises. So don't focus on trying necessarily to create the opportunities as much as you try to create your own skill set. Everything else will come. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. How can our listeners learn more about you and your business, AJ? Yeah, go to Self Storage Income. Um, that's, we got my book there. Um, investor's Guide to Creating Wealth, uh, uh, Growing Wealth Through Self-Storage. Um, and you can email me from that site. Um, and you can go to Instagram, AJ Osborne. Follow me there. I post things. We just did solar, redo solar roof project. I'm, I'm posting, I'm showing things that we're doing. Um, and you can literally just DM me from there. So Instagram um, or my website, Self-Storage Income. Either one, it's great. Um, and, you know, to the, uh, my books on Amazon, AJ Osborne on Amazon. Um, you'll find it there. So any of those ways, easy enough. I mean, awesome. fine. Awesome. Awesome. I'll put all the links into the notes and thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hi guys. It's Charles from the global investors podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30 minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com.
And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.